He's simply ravishing. Everybody, welcome to the Unscripted Wrestling Podcast here on the Everything Unscripted Podcast Network. I am the host tonight, Doug Hummer, and of course, I am being joined by my brother, Daniel. Hey, how's everybody doing? Pretty good. And Kenny's back with us. And gentlemen, as always, it's your pleasure to have me on your show. Uh, it's going to be a good one tonight. Uh, I like... I like that you went with that choice of music, although I have to say I like the uh I like the unlyric version of that song way better. Yeah, I just I thought of that cuz like the uh, his first one that he used for WCW, I really like the melody of that, but it's not available on the network. Yeah, it, and it's just it's just, it's like it's so perfect, right? It's like the new for the new Rick Rude, like the the new and improved Rick Rude, yeah. It was just yeah. like, it was so good. And it was funny, it's just some stupid stock song they had at, you know, TNN or whatever, or CNN Center. Yeah, because, like, and what's funny, too, and what a lot of people uh, should remember about WCW is they had, like, all this, like, generic music. They only had certain, mu- uh, certain music uh, customized for certain guys which is when the, the WCW Slam Jam album album came out in late 92, which is where this root theme came from that we just heard, you know, along with Sting's theme and the Steiner's theme was released on that album. The problem is the Steiner's had already left. So, like, they couldn't, they couldn't use it yet, and there was all these other themes that were, that were used. Uh, uh-huh. But... WCW had all these other generic themes that pretty much they would use it on like one job guy. And then it's like Bill Goldberg's theme was originally used by Pat Tanaka. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. The, the, without the Goldberg part, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pat oh, Tanaka. Well, that pretty funny, though, if all <laughs> the Goldberg part was with Pat Tanaka. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, yeah, Tanaka used that. Uh, the theme that uh, Jericho used, but it wasn't, uh, obviously you can't hear it on the network because it's actually copyrighted. That theme was actually first used by John Tenta. Oh. The shark? Well, before, uh, well, after he was a shark, when he went by his regular name. Uh, no, I, would have thought when the, I would have thought they would have got the rights to all that music and shit when they bought everything, but, you know, there you go. Yeah. Uh, all right, so tonight's topic is, uh, by the way, hope hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, so, you know, and this is obviously is known as the Black Friday, one of the biggest shopping days of the year, uh, but we're all home. So <laughs> we're all home doing a podcast. Uh, or at least on a phone somewhere. Let's not go nuts. Yeah. 
But, uh, yeah, so tonight's topic is a Rick Rude versus Sting feud retrospective. Uh, now, Rick Rude and Sting, it's pretty, it was one of WCW's biggest feuds in the, in the years that the company really wasn't making money. Uh, and, Kenny, you and I, because we're so close in age, you and I pretty much grew up on this feud. Yeah, he's gone. Oh, he left? <laughs> uh, Hell of a good feud, though. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a good <laughs> You guys did definitely grow up on it. Yeah. That was a great segue. <laughs> It'd be awesome if he was there. Yeah. Did he know that? Uh, I don't even think he knows that he hung up. <laughs> no, I got dropped, though. Hopefully he'll call back. Yeah. Uh, Harry. Hey, go after there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so like I was saying before we lost you, you and I kind of grew up on this feud, you know, because... Yeah, this is like... Go ahead. Or did... Dropped again. Oh, dear Jesus. Uh... <laughs> All right. Uh... It's a monumental feud. Rick Rude, body of gold. Yeah. Simply sh- ravaging. It looks like he shriveled from... Steel. And <laughs> his body's chiseled, head abs all in a row. It looks like he was sculpted by Michelangelo. Or at least that's what the song says. That's what the song goes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. This, this network really hates Kenny. Yeah. All right, get him back. You call him back here. Can we try this I'm again? Right here. All right. Yes. <laughs> All right, so go ahead and say what you were getting ready before you cut out again. What were you going to do? Oh, it's really to? simple. These, you know, these, I remember this is like, this is the big feud and, uh, you know, the Steamboat feud, which unfortunately ends up being the end of Rick Rude's uh, career, um, at least in America. I think he went to Japan for a little while, but his uh, his in his wrestling career. Right. So, yeah, Definitely. Yeah, well, his last match technically was against Sting. Uh, in in okay. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but all right. So the first time that this is technically introduced, Rick Rude makes his WCW debut at the 1991 Halloween Havoc, and he comes in dressed as the WCW Halloween Phantom. Yes. And uh, he wrestles the Z-Man. Match goes about a minute. It goes to show you what they thought of the Z-Man at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, and by the way, like, he had the mask on, but because, but the mask, like, you could see his mustache. So you kind of knew what was doing. It doesn't help that Trevani just gives it away. Like, he goes, oh, he's got a mustache? And then he basically calls out, hey, use the Rude Awakening as a finish. It's like, well, Jesus, no shit, Cody. Why don't you just tell him? Yeah. So, like, when they announced it, they said, all right, it's like, he comes out, and then it's just like, okay, you know, they're going to unveil Rick Rude because he used Rick Rude, because nobody else was using the neck break, that style of neck breaker at the time. No. So, and they had set it out that, it was going to be 
that uh, they brought that Paulie Dangerously and Medusa brought this guy in to basically take the United States title from Sting. Yeah. So they unmask him. Rude cuts the promo. First match is set up for Clash of Champions. Earlier in November of 91. Earlier in the night, Sting opens up his last gift box because Sting had been receiving these gift boxes from somebody. You know, they were trying to take him out. Abdullah Butcher was the first one. Cactus Jack was the second one. He was going to get the third one. And uh, Medusa comes out. In that gift box, she kind of comes. Out, she was dressed like a gypsy or something like that, right, Kenny? A guinea or yeah, some weird shit. Yeah, some, some she, something that made no sense. Yeah, <laughs> you know, WCW. What do you expect? Right, exactly. And it was still being run by Jim Hurd, technically. So, what more needs to be said then? Right, exactly. So <laughs> we had so. She comes out, does this dance, and then Luger comes out from behind her, or for, uh, also in the gift box, and attacks Sting, injures his knee. He goes to the hospital. Paulie dangerously reveals, he's like, oh, yeah, if Sting's not here by bell time, Rude gets the title. Sting comes out. They have, like, a four-minute match. Sting, uh, Rude clips Sting. Rude wins the U.S. belt. And Jim Ross is acting like it's Sting's funeral. <laughs> it doesn't make none of this makes it. The way they book this, of course, is just so like they couldn't have botched it any harder. Like it's a miracle it worked because like isn't there a doesn't the winner of the next tournament or something he gets a shot at the U.S. title anyways? No, it's uh, no because they were building up towards uh, Battle Bowl. Yeah, right, and the winner of Battle Bowl gets a shot at the U.S. title. At, at Luger, at, the winner of Battle Bowl, unless it was Luger, was going to get the shot at Luger's title. Oh, okay. Well, again, it's all very screwy. The way, we're like, all this, you know, booking on top of booking. Why do we need, you know, why do we need the boxes and Ravishing recruits? Right, because... <laughs> Like, also, too, you have Sting now going to feud with Luger. Sting going to feud with Rude. Sting was also still technically feuding with Cactus Jack at the time. And Abdullah. So none of this, none of it really made sense, but it, it's still kind of like, okay, you had Rick Rude beat Sting, and Rick, you know, Rick Rude beat the big hero, makes him the big... Even though Lex Luger is the number one heel in the company... Rude pretty much was being booked as like the top heel because he was able to do something not many people could do, and that's beat Sting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, then we move on to well, I'm going to move on to a segment that aired before Battle Bowl. Marcus Alexander Bagwell uh, comes in, young rookie. He uh, is doing an interview after a match. Paulie dangerously interrupts him. And then the Dangerous Alliance. Oh, by the way, the Dangerous Alliance had formed. And it was Rick Rude, Stunning Steve. Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, and the surprise was Beautiful Bobby. Because Beautiful Bobby and Sting were friends. Yes. Now, so this was like, 
I think to get the group to work, you really needed like a big heel turn. But Kenny, I want to get your thoughts on this because I've actually said this a couple times. I don't think because to me, I didn't really consider Bobby like that much of a babyface, even though he was working babyface at the time. Do you think oh, that somebody else should have turned heel and joined the Dangerous no, Alliance, or do you think it, it was I, uh, I, perfect for Bobby? I don't actually think so because that's when I first fell in love with Bobby Eden when he was a babyface at this time, and you know, when a couple occasional match he'd win with the. Uh, Alabama Jam or whatever, and, you know, that was just so cool. Even then, it was a guy doing a flying leg drop, and so I actually thought it was actually the perfect guy to turn because he's a guy, like, as you know, we didn't know him as Midnight Express Bob Eden, so we thought, you know, he's just this kind of dopey country baby face, and turns out he's not. He's this ruthless dickhead and doesn't care about his friends. <laughs> so I, I think it was a great a choice. Um... I don't think you needed a major heel turn because you had Rude doing all the heel. You know, you had the tough heel already with Rude coming in and doing his thing. And, you know, yeah. it's hard to explain how cool the Dangerous Alliance was other than saying even Larry Zabisco was cool in the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. Like, everybody talks about, oh, yeah, how cool the NWO was and how cool the Freebridge were. The Dangerous Alliance was fucking cool. But unlike the other two, no one was ever cheering the Dangerous Alliance. That was a difference. In terms of successful heel group, the Dangerous Alliance was not being cheered. Yeah. Yeah, nobody, like, and, and they always knew how to get heat because they were always targeting, you know, the top baby faces. And, and you look at the guys, like, you look at Rude, and you just see, Steve even said it, like, there's something, of, Rude had, for whatever reason, a little bit more of a chip on his shoulder that gave him something, for, you know, he felt, Felt that way about the fans a little too much, maybe sometimes. Right. So, all right. So, getting back to what I was saying about you know, because Dangerous Lions pretty much had to pick fights with every baby face on the roster. Yeah. So they picked a fight with Bagwell, Arn Anderson, or Anderson Zabisco, Austin, and Eaton starts beating up on poor Bagwell. Sting comes out to help him. And then Rick Rude jumped Sting from behind, and it was this big angle that was being run. On, it wasn't even called Saturday Night at the time. It was just called World Championship Wrestling. Right. And they beat him up, and it, te- it technically aired the night before uh, the night before Battle Bowl. And uh, like they they beat him up. They hit the Rude Awakening on him. They handcuffed him. And then they beat his, they beat his leg with a cast. And you know, to a lot of kids, like you know, kids were going nuts. They, you know, they obviously loved by the kids. Uh, then the next night at Battle Bowl, Sting had to go through all this stuff. Sting had a duel of the butcher and his partner in the battle in the tag team match. Yeah. They beat Flying Brian and Bobby Eaton, but that's because Flying Brian refused to tag Bobby Eaton. Flying Brian just beat up Abdul and took care of Bobby. Yeah. Uh hey, I'm I'm putting you on mute. I'm still listening but I gotta put you on mute for a second, okay? Alright. Uh so anyway. So uh then we had or so then we go to Battle Bowl, Roots in Battle Bowl, Sting's in Battle Bowl. You know, they get out there and Steamboat actually eliminates Root. Yes, he does. 
Well, then Rude pulled Steamboat out, and then Steam, and then Rude goes in, hits Sting with the Rude Awakening. Yes. Sting wins Battle Ball anyway, eliminating Luger, and therefore he gets the title shot. Because Jim Ross pretty much said, this needs to be for the title. Yeah. So Dusty took that and said, okay, <laughs> that's our pay-per-view. It should have been. Yeah. And uh, which Luger was going to leave anyway. And Luger had decided, he goes, uh, you know, if I'm going to drop the title on anybody, it's got to be Sting. Because at first, like, they were trying to get Luger to drop the title on Ron Simmons. Yeah. But, you know, Ron really wasn't ready. They're like, look, you know, Sting's our guy. So, Sting wins the world. Sting wins the world title. And then uh, afterwards, they have this press conference. Kenny, do you remember the press conference after Sting won the world title? Oh, yeah. This is the one where the Dangerous Alliance attacks him, right? Yeah, they attack him, and then Nikita Koloff shows up. This is the one, and this is what, like, if it's, why this sticks out in my head more than any other part of it is, I remember everybody is, Everybody else is in suits, and Recruit is in the tank top and the Zubas, right? Yeah. I was, like, everybody else is in a suit, and here comes Rude, and he's in, uh, you know, the tank top and the Zubas. Oh, yeah, it was crazy, because he was, you know, he was that, he was, he was, you know, stinging a piece of shit, and it was intense, man. Yeah. And then, so that kind of sets up, you knew that they were going to head towards something because Wrestle War was the next pay-per-view on the docket, and you could just almost kind of feel it's like, okay, Root's going to lead a team. The Dangerous Alliance was the perfect team to go into war games, just like always the Horseman was. So, like, putting them together... Yeah, they were born for that. Yeah. Well, and and that's another thing, too. Like, when you had the NWO then later on... Yeah, the stables. Yeah, the stables, the heel stables always had to go in... Yeah. To these types of matches, you know, it's like tomorrow with uh, with the Bloodline, yeah, at Survivor Series, them going into war games, yeah, uh, and you know, even like Bailey's group, Damage Control, uh, you know, I mean, obviously with two extra members and Nikki Cross and Diarrhea Ripley, <laughs> but uh, you know. <laughs> That's funny, Diarrhea Ripley. Yeah. Uh, I actually just thought it. It's not that funny, Daniel. Brother, that much that, that was Sharon laughing at that. I gave it a medium chuckle at best. But uh, anyway, uh, but so we have this uh, war game plan set up. It's going to be the Dangerous Alliance, Rick Rude, or Rude, Austin, Eaton, Anderson, Zabisco. Versus Sting Squadron, which is Sting, Nikita Koloff, Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, Ricky Steamboat. Uh, now, Kenny, a lot of people have called this the greatest War Games match of all time. Do you agree with that? I don't know if I would call it the greatest of all time. I thought it was really good, though. Yeah. Kenny, you there? Yep, still here. 
I actually looked at my my face and said I thought it was. Yeah, it was good. It made sense. It made it made it a little more real. It wasn't something you know they weren't doing these press scrums and all that crap was there now. So just something to make it a little more real. All right, but would you say that the 1992 War Games match between Sting Squadron and the Dangerous Alliance, people say that that's the greatest War Games match of all time. Do you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Not only do I think it was one of the greatest War Games matches of all time, I put that up there with Austin, uh, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, uh, you know, when Austin passes out, and um, the... uh, the uh, El, uh, um, the Eddie Guerrero, Art Bar, uh, Rio de Santo, Octagon, Pentagon, or whoever. Tag double hair versus double mask match at where we collided. The three best matches of the 90s. Right. Because I mean, you can watch, I can, I can show anybody, any one of those three matches, and they will understand immediately who are the bad guys and who are the good guys and what is at stake. Right. Uh, and then on right. top of that, they're just good matches. Right. I mean, and this War Games match, I mean, and yes, because uh, this is actually considered like one of the bright spots of WCW <clears throat> at that particular time. Well, yeah. Everything else was getting made fun of except for this. Well, yeah, because the Dangerous Alliance was really good and it had a lot of Heyman's influence on it. And all the guys in there were like, Kind of veterans of the game, like Sabisco and Arn knew what to do at the right time. So did Bobby, because Bobby had been in absolutely since 70, 78, 79. And Steve had already caught on by that point, and he was kind of a pro. Yes. And Rick Rude was like the perfect leader for it all. Yeah, he was a master heel. Uh, and then you had, you know, Sting, or, you know, Sting's group. Yes. Which was, it was all these major baby faces, you know, obviously Sting and Steamboat, who were the ultimate good guys. Dustin Rhodes, who was young. I like Dustin and Steamboat as a tag team. Yeah. I mean, but it, it was around this time, though, where, like, Dustin was mainly teaming with Barry Windham. Okay. But, no, Dustin and Steamboat, like, that was a pretty good team for a while. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, they all became friends. So fast forward a little bit, Sting and Rude kind of, you know, go through like different phases. They would occasionally meet each other in other avenues, like the the 20th anniversary of wrestling on TBS at that clash. They competed in an eight-man against each other uh, in an eight-man elimination match against each other. Yes. Uh in which Rude and Jake the Snake were actually the sole survivor, or not the sole survivors, but they were the survivors in that match. Yes. Uh, and then uh, Sting and Rude would then meet at the November 92 clash to determine uh, in the semifinals of the King of Cable tournament. Kenny, do you remember the King of Cable tournament? Not really. It's one of those like things I didn't really like remember at all. I mean, I, I, it was one of those things where I was like, oh yeah, King of Cable, whatever that, the hell that means. You know, that's something I, that I remember standing out personally. Right. I mean, the matches were good. Like, you know, when Sting beat Vader to become the King of Cable, I mean, that was, 
one of the best matches that the two of them had. And Sting and Vader had really good matches. Yeah. Uh, but with uh, with Rude, so Sting beats Rude at the November 92 class via judge's decision. Uh, and then, you know, Rude's out for a little while. He had issues with his neck. Uh the feud really pay, and again, they would meet again, you know, at certain points in like six man tags or tag matches. Early ninety four is when things really started to pick back up again. Yeah. And uh because Rude was actually feuding I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but I know Kenny and I do. Uh Rude was feuding in the later months of ninety three with the British Bulldog. Okay. And they were scheduled for a, a title a title match on uh, at Starcade '93, while uh, Sting was teaming with uh, Road Warrior Hawk to take on the Nasty Boys for the tag titles. Well, they decided to put the Rude Davy Boy match on early, so the week before on December 18th, 1993, it was going to be Rick Rude versus Davy Boy Smith on Saturday night. Obviously, it was taped a couple weeks beforehand. Davy Boy no-showed. So right. the boss came out. Now, Kenny, do you remember, like, exactly, like, why uh, why things went downhill with Davy Boy around that time? Now, th- th- this time right here, this is when I, this is when I was, like, there's a blank in my memory right now because I don't remember. I don't ever, I not like I barely this like for some reason I missed like a few months here from the because remember the boss coming in I didn't remember him as the boss ever I remembered him as a guardian angel so there's a gap in my memory and this happens to be it okay this this period right here yeah I mean I think I have it because uh, I have the uh, the Wrestling Observer yearbook for the year '93 and I think it covers what happened with Davy Boy uh, but I don't have it in front of me right now so. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it could be a lot of things. He had his issues. He had his demons like everybody else. You know, I mean, only two years removed from the Red Heart match, right? So I don't think he had kicked his habits by then. Well, yeah, no. It was only like a year and a half removed from the Bret Hart match. It's a year removed from when he got fired from the WWF because of that uh, that doctor in Europe that got was going to get convicted and he had a list of guys who he was giving steroids to, and Warrior and Davy Boy were on that list. Really? Yeah. Mm. And that's what fucked up Survivor Series 92. Now, I want to ask you guys something kind of how the topic of all this. Okay. Because I didn't really grow up on this era, obviously, because I'm a little younger than you guys. I was, I kind of grew up more... 2002, Ruthless Aggression and on, and then I got into a lot of this stuff later. Uh, Every time I delve back into this era, I think it's underrated, and I think it's really good. And there's some some things that don't make sense. There's like Black Scorpion shit and stuff like that, right? And there's some kind of wacky stuff. But I always thought that the roster, at least around this time, like with Ron Simmons, Vader, Luger... Rude, the Dangerous Alliance. I just thought it was so deep, and I thought for, like, a period in time that seems to be looked upon with, like, kind of a 
kind of a stink. It just doesn't make sense to me with how good it looks on paper, at least. Oh, I, I think this goes back to Jim Hurd not knowing what the hell he's, how to run a wrestling organization. Yeah. You yeah. arguably had the one time they had a better – Rick Rude in this run is the best heel in wrestling, period, at that time. I agree. And the fact is that the WCW didn't have enough spreading across the country, enough advertising power, enough whatever. But because of that, whatever that X factor is in the business side that give a shit about, obviously, or they would have done something with it, they didn't have it and when they needed it. Yeah. And that's the, arguably if there was one time they could have done something, it would have been now. And they just, management was shit, I guess, at the time. Yeah, because it just seems like they had so many. Like even like when they had like a hundred plus people in the NWO era and stuff. Like you could put this NWO with that, and I think it, it goes side by side. Like they had they had a deep roster with names, and like when Steve Austin is your up and coming star, that's like kind of on the mid cars working his way up, it could be like you know you got something. Yeah, I'm just they surprised. Had so much like, they had so much they had they could have, they had the young guys with. Hillman in Austin, and then he had the veteran guys, the real veteran workers, and then even the veterans who kind of just, you know, the other veterans who are good in their, who could do their own thing, you know, like Hacksaw and Vader, who were not, you would not, like, say, okay, teach these guys how to work, but they could do their own thing and get over, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and that was the thing, and that, and that was whatever, you know, lackadaisical management or whatever just fell through. It's crazy. And I guess sometimes it happens. Oh, yeah. All right. So if you look at, like, again, if you go back to, let's say, you know, we'll backtrack a little bit. We'll go back to January 92, right? Yeah. And you look at WCW's roster of guys at that point. And January 92, uh, Jim Hurd is out. Yeah. Kip Fry moves his way in. And Kip Fry is just a businessman. Yeah. That he has no wrestling experience, but he was a suit. But he was a little easier to deal with because he didn't come off as an asshole like Herd did. Yeah. He was easier to listen to, and he pretty much, he didn't interfere. Yeah. But uh, because he also didn't know anything about wrestling, he only lasted a few months. Oh, but if you look at that roster in January of 92, you know, like we were saying, you had your, your main event guys, which were Sting, Luger, you can argue Rude. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Uh, then you had your next tier, which was Steamboat, uh, Steamboat Austin, uh, Vader, Cactus, the Steiners. You know, you had Arn and Bobby in there. You had all this talent, which is veterans, and, but then you also had younger guys. You had younger guys that were you knew were going to become stars, but you also had younger guys that were pretty much just dragged out of that fucking power plant yeah. and put on TV because they needed bodies on TV. Yeah. All right, and I'm talking about pretty much I'm talking about Firebreaker, Hit Chip, and Todd Champion of the Patriots. <laughs> all right, and I'm sure they're nice guys. Yeah. But. They had no idea what the fuck either one of them were doing. And as much as I loved him when I was a kid, and I think Kenny did too, 
but Kenny also pointed out to me one time that we liked the guy because we were also stupid little kids. Heavy Metal Van Hammer. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was greener than the Grinch. Yeah. But he was he was the one. Jim Hurd picked pretty much brought him in. Well, no, Dusty brought him in. And Jim Hurd, because Dusty had visions of him being the next Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, he was. No. And so, like, those three guys, like, I mean, and Van Hammer was getting a push. Like, had Van Hammer, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but Van Hammer was actually supposed to be the one to beat Rick Rude for the U.S. title. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because uh, Dusty Rhodes and Bill Watts thought he was getting over. And this was actually this was in September of '92, uh, and they had the match scheduled. But during the match, Van Hammer misstepped and and sprained his ankle. What the fuck? So. Rick Rude was getting like this monster push and all that, and it was going to be ended by Van Freaking Hammer. Well, you know, it was at the point where Dusty and those guys were kind of just, you know, I think Dusty was kind of playing, you know, the good the good booker, the good boy. And he wasn't going to rail the ship too much. Yeah, and, well, and this was Watts' this was Watts's era too. So like Bill Watts thinking that this guy could pass. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Again, I think again he got a little bit of you know playing the the good booker, playing the good the good guy. You know, you can't always be, especially when you're Bill Watts. You can't always be an asshole. Right? You'll <laughs> find yourself without a job real fast. Right. So you know yeah. that's I think that's what happened in that case. He had. You know, two guys who, yeah, they had the mind for the business, but at some point, everybody's got to play the good boy and understand that, yeah, you may be the booker, but you, in this environment, that, that ain't equal to the boss. Right. You know? So they have, uh, so anyway, so back to, you know, we'll kind of get back on track here with Rude. Rude and Sting then meet again in, in the January 94 clash. Yeah. Uh, and it was Rick Rude and Vader teaming up in a tag team elimination match against Rick Flair and Sting. Uh-huh. And Flair gets hurt during the, I think Flair was actually already kind of injured because he didn't come in for like storyline injury. I think he was dealing with something legit. Oh, shit. Because he didn't get tagged into the match, but then he ended up hurting himself like as soon as he got in. Yeah. Or he started selling something. I mean, he ended up working the Thunder Cage with Vader like three weeks later. But, uh, so they do the match. Flair and Vader end up getting eliminated. It's down to Rude and Sting. Rude pins Sting, which sets up the six-man Thunder Cage at Super Bowl Four. It's Rick Rude, Steve Austin, and Paul Orndorff. By the way, Dangerous Alliance is done by this point. They ended in, like, December of 92. Was Paulie gone already? Yeah, Paulie actually left right after the November 92 clash. Uh, well, Bill Watts, you know, him and Bill Watts didn't get along. Yeah. And Bill Watts had power at the time. And it was just, uh, they were just ready for him to leave. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Rudes is kind of, so the Dangerous Alliance, you know, to the dismay of a lot of people, the Dangerous Alliance kind of dissolved. Uh, and then, but like, so the uh, Super Bowl four in February of 94, Rick Rude, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and stunning Steve Austin versus Sting, Dustin Rhodes, and Flying Brian in the six-man thunder cage. Sting's team wins, but then after the match, Rick Rude hits Sting with a rude awakening on the on the arena floor. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. I was having a hell of a time flying the plane. Enjoy. Uh, but, uh, so anyway, so we, so after that match, Sting, or Sting wants to shock, because Rick Root at that time was the international world champion. Which was just the world gold, gold belt. Which was technically the NWA title, but the NWA had enough of WCW. Yeah. So they're just like, because WCW was going against NWA rules and uh, changing, like, when they went with Rick Rude as the champion, when they had him beat Ric Flair, back in those days, and Kenny, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but back in those days, the NWA title, and I think it might even still be this way, I'm not sure. The NWA board of directors had to approve a new champion. Really? So, like, whatever company the the title was going to be, or whatever company that the title was going to be defended at, like, that company had to get it approved by the NWA board of directors that there was going to be a title change. Yeah, I think that I think that was legit at the time. Remember the time though. The, the, the thing about this though is that you remember at the time, you know, the only was really the only the NWA was, you know, W. Now they were working Howard Brody and Dennis Carluzzo and a couple other guys were working to build it back, but they were not, you know, this is they were not any they were not position to really negotiate with, with WCW, whatever, whether you want to, you know, I mean, they can say no and take the belt, but like, was that really a smart decision? Just for Shane Douglas to throw it down on the mat a couple of months later? I don't know. Yeah. No. But, so, uh, NWA pretty much said, look, you know, this is not, but WCW technically had the rights to the big gold belt. So they're like, fuck it, you know, they, NWA can develop their own fucking title and make a new one, and we'll have, we'll have the big gold belt, and we'll just have Rude, uh, we'll just have Rude defend it, because Rude should technically be a world champion here anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I liked it. I did, too. I, I, Rick Rude, to me, should have been world champion everywhere he went. Yeah. Some point. I don't know about that. In 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 the E, he still he he didn't have the he didn't have the ruthlessness like that when it like there's there's like uh I was kind of like our discussion today about superheroes. He didn't he had the ruthlessness was missing from Ravishing the group at that point. Whatever happened, we you know when he left and when he came back with the buzz cut 
you got some ruthlessness to him. Right. Yeah, he was a little less just sleazy and slick and a little more yeah, he's a little, ruthless. Little one and, note, yeah, a little one note. Yeah, no, I agree. He was a little more, you could tell he had the full package together by this time. Right. Not that he wasn't great there because he was. But. Yeah. Uh, now, so staying wide of the shot at the international title at Spring Stampede, which was going to be a brand new pay-per-view, Rick Root kept turning them down. So there was a segment on March 19th, 1994, on that Saturday night. Rick Root comes out for a match, and you have these two – bless you. You have these two ladies come out. Bless you again. You have these two ladies come out. They want, like, uh, and the one lady had a notepad with her. She wanted Rude's autograph. Now, I don't know why Rude didn't think any of this was suspect in the first place, because the one girl that was there, not the one that wanted the autograph, but the girl that was her friend, was wearing a Sting shirt. (laughs) And he had no clue. Well, that's not the one that uh, wanted the autograph. So, like, he wasn't, like, I don't think he was really focused on her, but they were both coming after him. One was wearing a Sting shirt. Kenny, have you seen this segment? I guess I recall. It is on YouTube. The video is Rick Rude versus Bill Payne. So one of the girls was a guy? No, Bill Payne was the guy he was wrestling. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, no, so it was like, it, I think it was actually the first match on that episode of Saturday Night. Uh, and so the girls come out, the one girl, this blonde-haired girl, the girl that was wearing the Sting shirt was a brunette. The blonde-haired girl, she has her notepad. So Rick Root signs the, the, the pad for mm-hmm. it gives his autograph. And uh, then gives the girl the rude awakening, which is not the neck breaker, but a, a kiss. That's what he calls that's uh, that's his you know romantic rude awakening or whatever. Okay. The good rude awakening. So gives her the kiss, goes in, works the match, uh, wins, goes to get interviewed by Gene Okerlund, and Gene Okerlund's going to ask him about you know the challenge to, from Sting which Rude had no interest in accepting. And then Sting goes and gets the two girls. Rude gets jealous because he had just planted a big wet one yeah. on, uh, on one of them. He's like, that's my girl. She's with me. And then Sting says to her, he goes, you know, I told you I had another trick up my sleeve. He goes, you ever hear of a carbon copy? Mm-hmm. And then he, under the... Uh, but the piece of paper that he signed was the contract for Spring Stampede. <laughs> and you see the woman, because Rude is, like, giving a death stare to this woman. Yeah. And she just shrugged her shoulders. She's like, sorry. <laughs> Can't trust him. Uh, but, yeah, no, I do recommend uh, checking that out. Because, to be honest with you, it actually is pretty funny. And it's something that really didn't get done a lot back in that era. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So, to me... That's it, some it, really corny southern old school stuff. And it, had it been anybody else but Rick Rude, they probably couldn't have pulled it off. 
Well, yeah. Well, and honestly, watching the segment, they barely pulled it off because of Sting. Because it, it doesn't work. Like, even Sting, not the crow, but just, like, the surfer dude Sting, it still didn't kind of work. Because I don't, like, he he's not, I don't need him to be clever and, and like that. And, like, that's just... It didn't feel right for him or Rude. I mean, Rude made it work in his reaction and stuff, but that wasn't my favorite part of this whole thing and going back and watching a yeah. lot of their... I mean, I just kind of liked it because, like, it, it kind of added, like, a yeah. different dimension to Sting's character, although it's one that we're not used to seeing. We're not used to him seeing, up, seeing him outsmart people. No. We're his... used to seeing him trust Ric Flair and then him stab him in the back for the 15th time. Yeah. Kenny's on a motorcycle. That's what it sounds like. Uh, no, no, just passing traffic, gentlemen. <laughs> Kenny's on the Harley. Uh, but, like, so, like, yeah, this segment, like, it, it worked because of Rude, but, like, it, it was a different element that you see Sting in. I liked it because it was, it just seemed so stupid. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's, like, so bad it's good. It didn't yeah. seem stupid. It was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that's how, uh, I mean, that's how they got the match going. And then Sting beat Rude at Spring Stampede for the title because uh, Vader accidentally whacked Rude in the back of the head with yeah. a chair. Yeah. So Sting got the win. And then, uh, unfortunately, on May 6, 1994, St- Rude beat Sting for the international title again. However,. That was the the night where, bless you, Sharon, that was the night where uh, Rick Root's career was ended via a neck injury. That sucks. Really? Yeah. Uh, It's unfortunate because they were going to do, like, it was going to be Rick Root versus Vader at Slamboree. Because what they were planning, I believe what the actual plan was, was that... uh, they were going to have Rick Rude, uh, you know, retain the title. Because Rude basically was getting to the point. Rude wanted another shot at Flair. Yeah. He wanted to wrestle Flair again because he wanted to be the actual WCW champion. Yeah. So they were going to try to work towards a unification match. You know that unification match, that clash between Flair and Sting? Yeah. It was supposed to be Flair and Rude. Really? Yeah, because Flair was technically still going to be babyface at that time. Yeah. And then the feud with Hogan was going to turn him heel. Right, right. But Rude gets hurt. They decide, okay, we're going to put the the international title on Sting because we know we can trust him. And that's what technically what Flair wanted anyway because Flair didn't like working with Rude. Why? Because Rick Rude, he said Rick Rude was too demanding. Rick Rude wanted to be the number one. He wanted Sting's spot in the company. He felt like he should be the number one babyface. He should be Ric Flair's main uh, main rival. Well, that's, well first, first of all, that would not work because, again, he could be Ric Flair's main rival, but Ric Flair would have to be the number one babyface. Right, and that's actually what Flair told him. He's just like, dude, your your last name is Rude. It's not going to work. You cannot have Sting Spot because Sting Spot works for Sting because Sting is a good baby face. You're not. 
unless well they could have done unless they were willing to go old school horseman and like break his arm like they did with Dusty. I don't, yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, so Although I gotta like, say, I gotta say though, Dangerous Alliance horseman would have been a hell of a feud. Uh, it would have been amazing. Except Ard would have to switch sides, right? Yeah. No, well, that would be the whole thing. We wouldn't know where Arn stood. That would be the whole question. Yeah. That would be a good, that would be like a good, like, storyline heading into a match like that. But, uh-huh. yeah, so Rude was already having issues with the company anyway, because at that time, too, in the, in, you know, May and, May and, in May of 94, Rick Rude was, Rick Flair was actually the head booker. And not a lot of people remember that. Uh, Because Dusty was the head booker at the start of 94, but Flair went to Bischoff and said, I love Dusty, but I was the booker at one time here. And when I booked, the matches were great. You know, we had a really good talent roster. I could work with these guys. And he said to Bischoff, he said, we don't need another shock master. Like, I can get rid of all the stupid shit. So Bischoff's just like, okay, do your thing. And uh, so... Well, this this all kind of leads into everything. This leads into everything because people don't understand that, you know, Hulk Hogan wasn't actually really interested in... Going to WCW, Ric Flair. I told Ric Flair wanted him there. This kind of leads into this whole other world, basically. Like this, this is the start of basically the run up to the NWO. Yeah, we have you know Ric Flair wanting Hogan in when Hogan wasn't necessarily interested uh, until Ric asked him to be interested. Yeah, and 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 Hogan also what led Hogan into WCW too was. Flair saying, look, you and I will finally have that match that we should have had at at WrestleMania 8. We're going to have it. It's going to be, you know, one of the, we're going to draw, you know, a record pay-per-view buy with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to be great. But, yeah, like, Ric Flair is technically, Flair is the one. That technically, yeah, I always heard that. that yeah, he was the guy that got him in. Now, Greg Gagne says, on the other hand, that he was the one that brought. Uh, oh, Greg Gagne also said that Vern invented the UFC. So shut up, Greg Gagne. Sit down in the Delta talking. Yeah. All right, P. Greg Gagne said, "Vern, yeah, yeah." Vern well, uh, didn't do anything wrong. It was his lion son. Yeah, no, Greg was just Greg's stories are are Greg has some cool stories. The problem is, I think about ninety percent of them are bullshit. That's yeah. that's how they are. Stories, they're stories. They're not recounting of facts. They're stories. Yeah. Uh, but all right, but anyway, with like Rude and Sting, you know, Rude then got into this litigation with the company because he wanted a, a better spot with him. Uh, you know, Flair's just like, look, you can't have Sting spot. Again, this is what Flair, Flair was saying, too. Is that, like, he told Rudy, just like, you can't be a babyface. 
So, but anyway, uh, Rude's career technically ended anyway. But I do think that, like, this whole – Rude's whole WCW run, even though it was cut short, was one of the bright spots, I think, of that company. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, it was... – go ahead, Kenny. And especially in that time period, and that's why it's such a shame that no one saw it because it was the best. He was the best heel in wrestling at that time. It was such a shame that because they were so low – and, you know, so down that nobody was watching, you know, that they missed the best heel in wrestling. Basically, the best heel in wrestling until Austin showed up and became Stone Cold, the, the bad guy Stone Cold. Right? You know, I mean, that was so that was six years. It was Rick Rude was basically the man in professional wrestling in terms of the bad guys. You know, four years and there was a two-year gap till Austin showed up. Yeah, when he really was Stone Cold. So, yeah. So I mean, it's and I mean, and, and again, there was the business as a whole was kind of down, of course, though, because it wasn't exactly you know they weren't exactly firing all cinders there with uh you know Sergeant Slaughter and being an Iranian sympathizer and that shit either. So you know, just bad luck, bad timing. But like, and I, I've talked to people, uh, Daniel and I actually have a buddy at work who's a huge uh, Rick Rude fan because he thinks Rick Rude is like one of a, one of the all-time greatest heels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and like, he, and I, I'll go up to him all the time and I'll tell him, I'll be like, you know, you know, you should check out this Rick Rude thing. Uh, you know, you know, this whatever, uh, like, you know, the Rick Root theme song, which I actually think, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, the Simply Ravishing theme. Uh, I think if we ever do a countdown of, like, our favorite theme songs or whatever, this is, would definitely be on my list. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, again, it's so weird because it was just like, it was, when, when they picked a stock song that was right, it couldn't fit any better. Like... You know, they just had this guitar, like, that kind of 90s, 90-esque, you know, late 90s, late, like, post, post, uh, pre-grunge, but kind of post-hairband, kind of just gnarly sounding guitars and shit. And it yeah. worked for a group. So when they picked, like, you know, and a couple guys, like, when they, uh, Psychosis, when they gave him that stock music, it worked yeah. for Psychosis, even though it was just, you know, somebody had played, you know, basketball highlights number 12. Yeah. Well, and I do agree with you on, like, the, the song that they gave Rude at first when he came in before they gave, before the Slam Jam album came out. And, like, like I like that, too. I mean, I like this one because, like, this one you can actually, like, sing in the back of your head. Uh, <laughs> like... I mean, and I've been, to be honest with you, I've been singing it at work all week, and people at work have been sneaking up behind me, and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'll be like, don't worry about it. Uh, uh, but, like, like just, like, with Rude, and then Sting, it was the same thing with Sting, because Sting, you know, had a, also had a song on this album, you know, the man called Sting, which he used for a few years. You know, another one that kind of like, I don't know if it was necessarily one of his best theme songs. <laughs> the band called Sting. There literally is a lyric in that song 
It says he does this, he does that. What yeah. the hell is that? What is that? How is that a lyric in music? Like, he does this, he does yeah. that. Like, what the but yeah, it works it's just, it's like, the songs were like so corny, but for some reason, like they did work for the guys at the time. I mean, I do agree that, like, you know, with I, I do see your point on uh, Wood's first theme, which sucks that it's not even available on the network. Yeah, yeah, because that first theme, man, was killer. It was it worked so well. You need lyrics. You just need the chick with the whip crack in the beginning. Simply ravishing, and then and it would just—you knew a bad guy was—you knew a guy who was gonna kick your ass was coming out. Well, no, it was the—it was the the tiger noise or something like that, right? It was a. Yeah, it was. A, it was. Yeah. A, she, yeah, it started with a tiger noise, and then she said, "Simply ravishing," and then then it was hit. Yeah. Yes. It was but, good. Yeah, like the, the it was lady good. that did the simply ravishing, like at the beginning of this song, which was again, you know, worked. Uh, mm-hmm. Well. In my opinion, it did. I mean, you probably didn't need all those lyrics or whatever, but no, but it was good stuff. But yeah, but like the whole thing with, you know, the, there is now it never happened. Now it was rumored for years that Honky was supposed to come in. Honky Tonk Man was supposed to come in, right? Supposed to wrestle Johnny Bad. Now they did run a vignette, but it never happened. And the song he sings, all I can say is, if you know anything about music litigation. There's a famous case where John Fogarty of Clear CCR got sued because he sounded too much like himself when he was a solo artist. Right. And all I can say mm-hmm. is this was, this was Jimmy Hart's moment of being sounded too much like himself. Basically, it's an, almost if it was, you know, the first song was Snakeskin Blues. It's it's flipped around to another thing. And this, this is Jimmy Hart copying himself and getting sued by himself. What song? This Honky Tonk Man song. If you can get a hold of it, you got to hear it. Because it's like, what the hell? That's funny. Yeah, and well, and the whole thing, and uh, like with Honky, because Honky would come in later on in 94, and uh, you know, Bischoff pretty much, uh, Bischoff pretty much said, because he brought Honky in pretty much to do uh, a match with Johnny P. Bad, and Honky had said, he goes, look, I'm not doing the job for guy and Bischoff's like okay goodbye oh yeah it was stupid on Honky's part because again whatever you want to say about Johnny you know Mark Merrill is a person or whatever you know this guy is Mark Merrill is Mark Merrill the wrestler was shit Mark Merrill's Johnny B. Bad was great for what you know there were a lot of shit there were a lot of $180 guys $1,000 wrestlers on the roster at that time and few of them gave as much as he gave and it worked yeah no, I was a huge fan of the Johnny B. Bad character. Uh, but, all right, yeah, so pretty much we've pretty much run through uh, the rude sting rivalry. Kenny, you got anything else on it that you want to add? Uh, no, I think, you know, what mixed in there, you got the whole uh, Ricky Steamboat busted nose angle, I think is was a filler in there for a while, and that was kind of a cool... That was kind of a cool angle. That led to one of the that led to the first Iron Man match I ever heard of at the Slamboree, him and Steamboat. Oh yeah, at that uh, Beach Blast. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, and so that was kind. Of, that was a neat feud because it was kind of like Rookie Steamboat's last 
it was the last thing that he kind of did that work where he was still the classic rookie steamboat going against a dastardly heel, and it was fun. That was fun, and the whole Dangerous Alliance thing was fun, and, and just that whole, everything everything he did, like, there was, had the business been in a better place overall, Rick Rude would have been making a lot more money, more money than he, he ended up making. Now, uh, now it's, what's amazing is is that he goes on and the man, the, you know, his brief stint in in uh, ECW, which is hysterical because he comes out wearing a mask at first, but you know, this time he's saying he's ravishing a crude, but it's obvious he is. There's another mask with a mustache. Uh, you know, he comes out and does that for a little bit. He goes and then he starts doing, you know, he manages DX briefly and then NWO and. He gets, you know, he gets the insurance payment from Lloyd's of London, where he can't ever wrestle again, and then he yeah. passes away all of a sudden. And yeah, so it's kind of, it is really like one of those, you know, like especially later in passing away, it's like God, why? And, and you know, in a parallel to one of his really good friends, you know, Mister Perfect, they're about the same time. They're the biggest, you know, they're big deals in wrestling, and they're you know, they end up, you know, getting out of the business and then coming back and dying shortly thereafter. So, yeah, it's this Rick Rude man is one of those guys, like, if you didn't, if you've only seen him, you know, as, like, with the, you know, the, the goofy, like, burlesque stripper music and the, the afro kind of hair, that was great, but, like, yeah, that was not his best work. Right. And no, so you I, should I check def- this out if you want to see his best stuff. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And Sting, like, we got to give some credit to Sting too. Yeah, and uh, that's where I would probably say my final statements to where it does take two to tango. Sting had a beautiful uh, heel to work with who knew how to, uh, you know, get the most out of the crowd and get the most out of the baby phase. But Sting also played his role, and this is around the time where he had to kind of carry the company in the baby face realm. Yeah. And uh, he was made to go against everybody. Like you said earlier, he was in a few with Cactus, with uh, Abdullah, with uh, Vader, with multiple people, Luger. Uh, and him and Rude is probably my favorite around this time because I do think Rude brought a lot out of him in a different way than those other guys. But uh, Sting was also ready to go, and those two matched up against each other well, and it always felt special. And, you know, wrestling, I think a lot of the time, especially with your main event, getting that big fight feel is one of the most important things as a booker or a promoter. And those two standing across from each other really kind of – I don't know. It just it shows that in a different light, and it, it does feel like a big fight feel when those two are going at it. And the Dangerous Alliance messing with him, it was a perfect group to oppose him uh, if you're not going to have the horsemen. So, yeah. I thought the feud worked I, overall. No, last in retrospect, it makes sense, though. I mean, because think about it. I mean, he here is the – here is basically what, you know, Rude got so much out of the Ultimate Warrior who was – the, the shitty part of the Blade Runners, and here's yeah. his, the good part of the Blade Runners. So it makes sense that they had a great feud. Like he got now he's a guy who actually shut up and learned, you know, sting up and learned the business and became something without you know needing all the all the gimmicky crap. You know, yeah. 
lawyer who could, you know, who couldn't do, he was a guy who could actually work and do exciting, you know, more than a five-minute match. And, oh, let's put him with, you know, here's a guy who got a lot out of his terrible partner. So, of course, it makes sense that he would go in there and do good with Sting. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's one of my favorite rivalries from, from that time period. Again, one of the bright spots of WCW and obviously the Dangerous Alliance helped. I mean, and earlier on, you know, I brought up how I didn't necessarily think that Beautiful Bobby was the right heel turn. You know, Kenny obviously uh, disagrees, and I see Kenny's point of view. Personally, I think the person that should have turned heel at that point, because he was a good friend of Sting's, was Flying Brian. But then, you know, he would turn heel a year later. Yeah. Uh, The problem was, I think that was when Flair was trying to push him to basically take up, basically be Sting the next Sting spot. Well, and, they were and Flair, Flair was already gone at that point, but I do see that because Flair saw Brian as the next baby, as the next top babyface. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it all worked out in the end. Dangerous Lions, I think, was is probably one of the greatest heel stables of the nineties. We said early nineties. Yeah. yeah. So I would I would say that in terms of effective and actually being a heel stable, they might be the greatest heel stable of all time because again, no one was cheering them. No one was cheering the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. Like nobody Where at all. Like, I'm, I'm sure they respected them, but they were doing like, yeah, so no much cheering them. Right, like yeah. bad news. It's like bad news, Allen. Right, you might respect him, but nobody's cheering for him. Yeah, but yeah, so like, and I think dangerously had a lot to do with that because everybody well, yeah. hated him. He's a perfect. And Paul, and back then when he looked, really did look like Michael Keaton. Like it yeah. worked so well. Like I love Paul. Like I love the wise men or the whatever they call him now. It was great. But when he was Paulie Dangerously, that Paulie Dangerously, he was it was awesome too. All right, I think we've uh, pretty much covered just about everything for mm-hmm. this. So, yeah. uh, all right, uh, Kenny, real quick, who are you picking for tomorrow night's men's war games? You got the bloodline or the brutes? Okay, so it's, who's, who's the bloodline? Was it five on five? Yeah. So it's Roman, the well, Uso, Zane, and uh, Solo Stakia. Okay. And okay. then. The Brutes, it's uh, Seamus, Ridge Holland, Butch, although I still write, like to refer to him as Pete Dunn, yeah. Kevin Owens, and Drew McIntyre. Oh, God. That's, oh, Jesus. I, it, honestly, why, why, why drop, why, why strike while the iron isn't hot and, you know, if the, if the iron is hot still, let's keep branding the horses. So, bloodline. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason why they should not win this thing tomorrow. Really? I'm going for the Brutes. I mean, unless you're going to start building to Sheamus and uh, Roman uh, in a one-on-one. Well, if you're not going to get to build up the guy, it's been three fucking years. you got to lose at some point, lose something. No, you don't. Yeah, you do. It's the belt's not on the line. He can take a loss, and the heels can look cool for a little bit. Or the baby faces can have their moments. If anybody's taking the L tomorrow, it's more than likely being Sami Zayn. 
Sammy Davis well, has heard of it. A lot of people think he's going to end up taking the belt off him. Yeah. Sammy Zayn is actually, like, this is why, like, you, if you want to understand why Jim Cornette disliked Sammy Zayn for so long, it's because he was this guy who was an amazing talker and wanted to be a generic luchador and not talk at all. Yeah. Oh, and, and, Jim yeah. Cornette does nothing but praise Sammy Zayn now. Oh, yeah, no, Sammy Zayn said something on Twitter, like, he, Sammy Zayn acknowledged it, or somehow I forget exactly, but, you know, that was his point. He's like... I saw this guy's personality, and I'm like, you don't want to talk, but it's the best thing you do, and you're surprisingly strong for a guy that looks like you. And it like, I can understand why he was pissed off about it, because, like, here's this guy who can talk, and he looks, doesn't look like it, but he's strong as an ox, and, you know, and, he, and he's, he's got timing, and he just is a guy who, like, you, you know, and he's kind of like, there's a, you know, like he's the guy that, you know, like you feel for because he's trying to be with the, the, you know, the honorary guy and all that, and that was great stuff. I think he finally hit really his good stride. Guy. I think he's doing his stuff. best right now. Yeah, yeah. Do you know when that was with Kevin Owens for the longest time? Yeah, yes. Okay. But that stuff started to get stale for me. I think this is where he finally hit his stride and he's really having some fun moments and. Like, it's just like he's the perfect comedic relief for that group because they need it desperately to kind of keep it fresh and entertaining, too. And him, like, getting Roman to crack up in the middle of the ring is a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't think he should be the one to take the title off Roman like a lot of people do. But No, 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 no. I do like him in the spot he's in and having fun. I think you could get a match out of it if you wanted to, yeah. to have him leave the bloodline. If you wanted to do something with Sami Zayn, here's a perfect him. Here, have him and have it come down to him and Owens. Yeah. Like, and, and like he's got now he's got Owens and Owens he's got to do something awful to Owens to make him, you know, give up or whatever. That would so, be cool. Yeah. Now, now, here's the funny thing, and this is what I have heard. Roman's actually trying to push the guy that's going to end, you know, his title reign. He wants it to be uh, the guy formerly known as uh, Walter uh, Gunther. Really? That would make sense. But now that they buried him, now that they buried those guys for, for, for Seamus, these goofs. I mean, nothing. I like Pete Dunne. I haven't seen much of Ridge Holland, but Seamus is... Seamus has been on, needs to go. Like, he needs to go. He's got spinal stenosis. He's got, his, his act is old. He was never really that good to begin with. Yeah. I mean, and uh, on Gun- his own, like. Yeah. And Gunther's the Intercontinental Champion right now, and he's on a run. And Gunther's actually being uh, groomed. Brock Lesnar wants to work with him. Well, yeah, and- because he's a believable guy. At, at 39. So Gunther, you know, who's uh, trimmed down from, at one time he was 300 pounds, now I think he's like 250 or something like that, but he's also, he's a very tall guy. He's a good worker. Yeah. Those slaps look like they could fucking tear Oh, those chops fucking. But, like, so, like, Brock Lesnar wants to work with him at 39, and Roman's trying to get it to where, like, Roman's petitioning for Gunther to be the one. Isn't he still a heel though? Yeah, that's like one of the that's one of the problems. That's why nobody's listening to him. But also, Roman wanted Karrion Cross to be the one to beat him too. 
but it's just like, uh, dude, you're a heel, he's a heel. We need a baby face. Yeah. And well, the problem with Kane Cross, Kane Cross huh? has kind of the Mark Merrill syndrome going on with him, right? You can't bring out, you know, his, his, well, in this case, his wife. You can't bring out the wife and try to get, you know, that's not going to work, especially if you're trying to do anything other than being a heel. Well, you can't bring out Scarlett. Yeah, and that's the thing, too, is that when they tried Karrion Cross's gimmick the first time, when they brought him in, uh, Vince took Scarlett away from him. Yeah. Nobody gave a fuck. Um, it's because they made her too much of the centerpiece. Yeah. So when uh, they took Scarlett away from him and nobody gave a shit, it's just like, okay, but then Triple H brought them both back. It's like, look, the two of you need to be together. So, and, and now it's working, but I do agree with Kenny. It's just like, if Karrion uh, Cross would not work as a babyface. No. So doing these heel versus heel matches, you need the ultimate babyface to end Roman's reign. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't mind uh, the heel versus heel every once in a while, but you can't. This has been building up for a long time. Whoever, whoever gets this thing could be your next potential babyface for the next five, ten years. It could be somebody that you could carry the company on, at least in theory. It could be wasted and end up stupid, but what you want it to be is a big moment, the guy that finally beat Roman in in the bloodline. So it's got to be a pretty big deal and build somebody up and give them instant clout for doing so. Right. The only guy I I would even think they could do something with, and they already kind of shot this in the foot, was they could have done something with L.A. Knight and Roman Reigns, but they already fucked that up. Yeah, there's nobody LA else working with Bray tomorrow. God, Which I mean, and I love. I really, honestly, since I, the first time I saw the guy, Eli Drake, L.A. Knight, whatever you want to call him, I loved him. He's great. But they don't. Again, they haven't beat those guys up, and instead of keep him, he's so hot with the crowd, and then they turn him heel. It's like, what are you doing? What are you people doing? Like, when, the crowd. when they had him, when they had him go back from Max Dupree, they took him out of the Max yeah. Dupree thing, turned him back into L.A. Knight. Then all of a sudden, he's trying to steal Ricochet's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. What the fuck yeah, are you doing? And it's like, did you not hear how loud the people were cheering, kicking the shit out of Mansoor and whatever the other guy's name is? Matei. Yeah, and he's so good on the mic too, and he looks great, and he's he's a guy who could. You know, and he, he's obviously, you know, he looks like a man and he's a guy who can talk and looks like a badass and is in great shape. But, like, you know, they they blew it with him because they just dicked around too long not seeing how good he was. Right. And I, I can't see anybody else they got. Well, there's a couple guys in NXT that maybe sort of could do something with, but uh, they still got a long way to go with some of them. Uh, uh... I mean, I, the, the first guy that comes off the top of my head as far as, like, NXT guys that could at w- one day, uh, you know, end, end uh, the title reign, the first guy I'm thinking of is Braun Breaker. Well, obviously. Steiner's kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're unofficial twin because you were both born on the same day. Yeah. Uh, I was born on the same day as The Rock, so I got a better one. 
Yeah, well, uh, well, yeah, but also, too, Rock is also 15 years older than you. Braun Breaker and Daniel were born same day, same year. That really makes they you feel like an that. asshole, though. He, his physique, yeah. he's killing it. I'm proud of him. Yeah, he's got something I think uh, I, I, I like everything I've seen from him. I think there are more interesting guys. There are more interesting guys down there, gimmick-wise, that they can do things with. Um, yeah, I think especially a guy like Joe Gacy, who like for a guy who was trained by, you know, not trained by uh, Quack or uh, Gulak when they were running the CZW school, is a phenomenally good wrestler, especially for a guy his size. Uh, I think he has a lot of potential. I like Cameron Grimes a lot. I wish they would just figure out what to do with him. Yeah, let's do start stop with Grimes. Yeah. Uh, but all right, uh, we'll go ahead. We'll call it a night. Kenny, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you for having the voice. Always a pleasure. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys, have a good night. All right. You too, Kenny. Uh, this all right. Make sure you listen to Boxman Smart, the wrestling outlet Wednesday nights on YouTube. 10.15, 10 10.20 Eastern Time. Uh, Saturday or Sunday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Hollywood Hangout. Mm. Also on YouTube. Uh, and there are, of course, can also be found on Apple Podcasts and all the major outlets. Make sure to give us the old check job. Every 6.30 for Unscripted Wrestling on Friday night. Yep. Make sure to check out Unscripted Unlimited on Saturday night at 7 p.m. Yeah, tomorrow night is the Cartoon Survivor Series. Yes. Uh, next Friday night, I think you and I, Eric and I will just talk about it tomorrow because I don't have anything off the top of my head. Oh, for next week for the wrestling show? Yeah. I should come up with something right now. Okay. Oh. That better not be it. <laughs> we should do a Vader top 10 moments of matches. I'm in. Okay. You and me will curate the list throughout the week together. We'll let Eric come up with one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Clinton might be able to add to that. Too, no, I think. <laughs> uh, no, but no, I'm definitely down. Okay. All right. Uh, make sure you listen to Daniel and Mindy Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time for the stab cast. Yeah, today, we're, tomorrow we're doing Willie's Wonderland. Not tomorrow, but Friday. But not Sunday. Friday, but Sunday. What's today, Friday, <laughs> <Yeah>. Monday? <laughs> On Sunday, we're going to be doing Willie's Wonderland, and uh, Mindy's going to have a lot of staunch knowledge for you. And thank you for getting the TikTok to over 500 followers. Me and Mindy are very happy. Uh, we're lighting the world up, baby. <laughs> Damn right. All right, Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, blogtalkradio.com, slash everything inscripted for the web cave. Uh, we don't know. After I whooped Bobby's ass on Monday, we couldn't really come up with a topic, so... Because he's still, a little salty, eh? his his butt was too hurt. Uh, well, that could be for many reasons. But uh, you've been there. Uh, uh, we'll see everybody next week, and I love you. Aww. I'll make sure uh, Eric and Quinn next week for NFL Hard Hits. Either going to be Wednesday or Thursday, previewing Hard week shit. thirteen, reviewing week twelve. Check out Sean Elite Diplodoc on YouTube and Twitch. And I think that pretty much covers it. All right, good. Play something catchy.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.